0: This is going to be a two or maybe three-part series, and I was going to try to do it all in one day, and this is not going to happen. This is kind of almost an introduction. Um, but the, the foundation of all human problems is sin. The very foundation of every single sickness, disease, you know, there was, n- there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no pain, there was no hurt <clears throat> in the garden when it was sinless. And there will not be none in heaven without sin. But when sin enters, my mom raised me with a saying that she always says sin ruins everything. Anytime we let sin in, it brings ruin. Um, and so there is a ruinous problem in our souls, in our lives, in our world, and it is sin. Um, and it is it is at the root of any situation, um, you know, at, at mental health. You know, it just, it, you can list it. It does not exist in a sinless environment. Um, so every marriage, every addiction, every, um, you know, t- temper or violence or hate or whatever, you can always trace it back to sin. Um, if, if they, if, if a person was living in a sinless state, there'd be no marriage problems, there'd be no anger or strife or not, you know, none of that would exist. Um, and any solution that we come up with in the world, um, for a problem that doesn't deal with the sin, it, it is a cosmetic surface solution. It's a bandaid. It's a temporary, it is a. It won't, you know, you can pop a pill, you can, and that's what we do mostly now to numb ourselves out To, but it will only help you so far or for so long. And then you have to increase either the medication or a new way to numb yourself out or whatever it is. And you might be suffering from somebody else's sins, but it is, that is the source of all suffering. Um, and so this, this situation has to be dealt with. Um, it says uh, the one who sins is the one who will die. In the Old Testament, you know, if you sinned, it was equivalent to death. Um, It's that serious, right? Um, We all have read, or maybe we haven't all read, but if you read the Old Testament, you would see that they stoned people to death for sins. You know, if a child was rebellious, they stoned them to death. I mean, it's pretty extreme there it, sin leads to death. Um, You know, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Um, When we let this into our lives, when we let this into our society, this is why we have um, walls, right? I mean, to try to keep sin from running rampant. Um, If we didn't have sin in society, we wouldn't need laws. Um, That's that's the boundary lines, right? Um, It says here that, one sin is sufficient. Oh, hold on a second. I've got the wrong scripture here. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Lord God, I'm going to need your help here. This is crazy. Okay. Um, so first we have to establish how serious the issue is. We have to understand how real this issue is. Um, you know, you think about how, how heavy one sin is. You look at Adam and Eve, one sin Eating a fruit got them kicked out of the garden. And you know what? We might even be like, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? Like, compared to some of my sins, you know? I mean, and so one, one, one got them kicked out. One took the fellowship from God away. One ruined paradise. One. And I mean, I feel like I sin 23,000 times a day, you know? And just one, you know? So, and one that we might call minor. You know, we like to categorize sins. You know, we do, and so we call them minor. Um, and, and that was enough to bring this this ruin to paradise. And 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 the hard part is um, when it, when the hard part is um, is that in Hebrews 9:22 it says, "In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood." And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So the the hard part is, here you have this perfect paradise with the sweet, innocent animals, which I think most of us are animal lovers, and we love our animals, and we think how sweet they are, and we think how innocent they are. And here they are innocently living in this garden, and they have to, some animals are now killed. Can you imagine the shock? These animals live in communion with humans, they live being loved by humans, and now they are being killed so that the blood can cover the sins. I mean, to me, it's so jarring as much as I love animals. Um, the thought of that is, is, is grotesque. And yet that's how awful the sin problem is. And God is like, well, it's either them or you, because all sin leads to death. Sin is, is real, and, it's, and it's, it's a powerful force. So, you know, why blood? Um, I, did some, I did some research on blood, and it's a cleansing agent. Um, you know, when you just look at our blood, um, you guys know that Dave's been having a lot of health problems, and his blood is drawn constantly. And his blood is drawn constantly because your blood doesn't lie. It's funny, he's gotten a, a really, really good doctor, and my doctor's not quite as good um, because I got the physician's assistant, and I said to him, I'm not worried about it because she'll draw my blood, and the blood doesn't lie, and she can read that chart because blood tells the truth about what's going on in your body. Nobody else can tell. We can do all kinds of other things, but the blood will tell you what's true about the body. Um, so it cleanses, it removes waste from the liver, from the kidney, you know, from the intestines, it, it takes out things that will kill, and and if then, you know, if your blood's not cleansing properly, properly, you will it'll kill you. You'll become toxic. Um, so it's so important to have blood that will cleanse. Um, the blood keeps the the body nourished and stable. Um, it brings uh, nourishment to the cell cells and distributes hormones. And we all know how important our hormones are. How stabilizing, right? Or destabilizing? Um, how and this is, you know, and I'm going through this quickly because I've got a lot to say, but the, the, the blood of Jesus, the stabilizing factor, the way it keeps our emotions stable, and we're going to talk about this, the way it keeps our lives stable, and, of course, the cleansing factor. I mean, I didn't draw that conclusion. You guys know what I'm saying. I mean, so you, it, it, it makes us be able to breathe. It takes oxygen to the lungs and throughout our body. We get in situations where we don't even feel like we can breathe, but it is the blood of Jesus that gives us the breath of life. He is the breath of life. It says that in him, we, we, we exist. We have our breath. We find our being in him. He is the breath of life. You know, you're seeing the importance of blood is what I'm trying to say. It keeps us balanced. It, it keeps our body temperature right. It, you know, the, 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 it will contract or restrict to keep us cool or to help us warm up. So the blood, uh, the blood is, it keeps us even when things are out of whack, you know, when you've got too much cold or too much hot. And that's what, that's what, and that's what the blood of Jesus does. And when a blood vessel is damaged, all the blood cells rush to that damaged part to keep you from bleeding out and to cauterize and to, and that's what the blood of Jesus does for us. And this is what I'm going to talk about today. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's amazing because with all of the science and all of the unbelievable things we've been able to do um, with technology and everything else, no one can reproduce blood. With all of man's ingenuity, we cannot, you cannot create the blood of life you cannot create blood. It is, it is the life-giving source. Um, it, the scripture says in Leviticus 17:11, for the life of a creature is in the blood. I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for our lives. Um, blood is life. Um, and, all, and what he was saying there is this blood of these innocent animals, which rips me up every time I think about it, that this innocent little furry animal is, is dying for me. Um, if I were back then, or when I read about what they had to do back then, and I'm sure they were animal lovers like us, you know? And they had to do this to live, to, to stay in some type of fellowship with God. Atonement means to cover the sin. So they could, they could never escape the sin. They could never be free of the sin. They could only cover it, but at least when God looked at them, he saw a covering. He still saw the sin. He just saw a covering, um, but the blood of a, of a goat or a bull or a sheep, those were the things they killed, or a bird, was never powerful enough. It, it, the best it could do was cover. Something had to die because sin is so serious that something had to die and, and so because something had to die, at least there was some type of payment for this sin, and that would at least cover it, but, the, but, the, but, but you lived with it for the rest of your life. You just walked around with it on your back, covered. It was still there. It wasn't, it wasn't valuable enough. Um, it was, so it says, um, and the problem is, like, why? Because God cannot fellowship with sin in any shape, form, or fashion. He cannot be in union with it. He cannot be in agreement with it. He cannot be associated with it. Righteousness makes him God. And, and I, know that, I know that a lot of us have heard this. And so I need this to be the message that I have today. I pray in the name of Jesus that we can strip away. I know I'm laying a foundation right now, but strip away the thing that you've heard over and over and over and over again. Because I need, what I need to get to is the power of the situation. And I know that I'm saying things that you guys have have heard before, except for the fact that we have to remember, we have to lay the foundation of remembrance so we can get to the other side. And, And so what we have to realize is, is that the only thing that would do, you know, when you think about it, God's. Jesus' blood is God's blood. I mean, God's blood. So we all have a little bit of God's blood in us. Adam was given God's blood, right? He had no mother and no father. God gave him the blood. That was the first man. And that blood, we all have some part of Adam's blood in us, right? We all came from these. And so we all have a little bit of God's blood in us, which is a pretty amazing thing. But Jesus had all of God's blood in him, and that you think about the amazing, the preciousness of the fact that that is God's blood. You know, the, the blood of a ram and a bull, it just isn't very precious. My blood is not that precious. It's simple, It's tainted. But that is God's, I mean, what, what, would, what would the DNA of that blood look like under a microscope? You know, they didn't have it back then. What did it look like? What was it like? That is the blood of God. That is the blood of God and the preciousness of what this was. Um, And so when we go before the Father and we go pleading the blood of Jesus, it is the most precious. God will never not honor a prayer prayed covered by the blood of Jesus. It is so precious and so powerful and the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, we, I couldn't get to this sermon and it's crazy because I wanted to skip this topic. Um, I, so the Lord has been giving me the topics I'm supposed to do. And I knew I was supposed to preach on this sermon two sermons ago. I knew I was laying the foundation and I knew that I could not preach on this topic and, and, have it, and, and be able to relate to you the power and, and the, the awesomeness of this without laying the foundation of faith, because all of this goes together. But the power, you have to have faith to understand the power of the blood of God. You cannot approach this, it's too, it, it's too exposed, there's been too much conversation about it, Familiarity breeds contempt, right? We get, we get too familiar. We get too comfortable. We get too bored with it. And, and this topic, to move ahead, and, and as God is laying these foundations in our heart and soul, we have to understand the awesomeness of blood that comes straight from God and the preciousness of it and how God will always honor his son's sacrifice. You cannot come before God in prayer when you have been covered by the blood because you have repented of your sins and you have claimed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you cannot come before the Father and claim the blood of Jesus and not be in his presence and not be honored by God. He would never dishonor his son's sacrifice that much to not honor us when we come into his presence, when we claim the blood of Jesus over our lives and our situations. So what does the blood of Jesus do? And you guys know this, but the blood of Jesus gives us acceptance. Without it, um, we could never be accepted by God. We, are, we could never be accepted by God. Uh, we cannot be dynamic enough. We cannot be pretty enough. We cannot be smart enough. We cannot be educated enough. And most importantly, and this is the most important one, we cannot be good enough. We cannot be good enough, but yet we keep trying to earn it. And we keep, we we can't, without, you know, you could build a million orphanages around the world. And if you don't come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, you cannot be in his presence. You are rejected. I am rejected without this. We cannot be good enough. Um, There's no goody goody enough work for us to do. It is it it, it's impossible. You know, when we stand, when we get to the gates of heaven, all we're going to be able to do is fall on our face and say, "I plead the blood," and the doors open. We are not going to come into heaven with the list of our accomplishments and all the good things we did. As a matter of fact, it says. Um I've gotten ahead of myself. <laughs> oh my goodness, Lord Jesus help me. Oh, okay. Um sorry guys, the computer's the best. The Lord's going to have to deliver this because um I simply cannot, especially with all this stuff going on. Um anyway, so the so the it 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 says sorry. Oh, I just can't believe this. Oh, Lord, help me. Um, so anyway, so we will never get there. Isaiah 64 6 says all of our righteous acts are like filthy, bloody rags. And literally that statement, filthy, bloody, it's, it's the blood of like uh, period blood. That's what he puts in the Bible. He wants us to understand how disgusting our righteous acts are, how disgusting disgusting it is to him to think that we can earn this thing, to think that we can be good enough, to think that our righteousness is what gets us into his presence. You know, and so that's why we can't feel guilty about not being good enough, right? Because you can't be good enough. If we could be good enough, you know, he, he's like, I want you to understand you cannot be good enough. And yet, for a a lifetime, we're trying to earn something here. Um, You know, we can only be accepted by the blood. That is the only way that we deserve hell. We can only only come by this powerful, supernatural force. The blood of Jesus grants us access to the Father. It's amazing. We have a voice in heaven. You know, when you think about that, I bet many of us have been in a relationship where we didn't feel like we had a voice, where our voice is silenced, where you feel like you do not have a voice. I have spent a lot of time in relationships like that. And to think that because of the blood of Jesus, we have a voice in heaven. We have something to say about things that are done on this earth, politics, you know, things that are happening around the world, things in our family, things in our own soul, things about people we care about, things about our kids' school, whatever it is, we have a voice in heaven because of the blood of Jesus. That's unbelievable that we have a voice. If you've ever been voiceless, you understand how, how amazing that is to think that you've got impact in heaven because of the blood of Jesus. You go before the Father and you say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I come into your presence and I plead the blood of Jesus and here I am and you have access and you have a voice. And that's the only reason why it's the only reason why. And the blood of Jesus brings, gives us access to the blessings and the promises are so prolific. And we're going to talk about that, but not today. So um, the blood of Jesus means everything everything to us for this earth and for heaven the blood of jesus means everything to the father everything that blood means everything to the father it's unbelievable you know that there is nothing more precious to him than that and but the blood of jesus also means everything to the demonic world everything because every demon in hell knows that because of the blood of jesus it, they cannot, they, they have no leg to stand on. They understand that because of the blood of Jesus, they cannot, if you claim the blood of Jesus over your life or the life of someone you love, or when you're in a situation and you claim the blood of Jesus, they have no recourse. It's because of the blood of Jesus, it renders them powerless. They had power that was taken from them, and we are given power over them because Of the blood of Jesus. But when you claim the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, there's no demon in hell. No matter what they have done to you in the past, no matter what they're doing to you now, if you claim the blood of Jesus, no matter how they've tricked you into going along with them and you've sinned and you've fallen, you claim the blood of Jesus, you're instantly forgiven. And you claim the blood of Jesus over any situation that is crushing you, you have victory. They lose power. And they know that. They know that there is no recourse for them against the blood. But here's the thing. They also know if they can keep us ignorant to the power, then we won't apply it to our situation. They know if they can, keep, if they can, make, this, if they can make the blood of Jesus so mundane, because we've heard it all so many times, that this is no longer something that is, that is um, something that we stand on, Something that we enter the presence of God on, something that we claim our promises on. That is the only way that we can claim the promises. That is the only way we can go into his presence. That is the only way we can be made righteous. If if we if they know they can keep us from applying that to our lives, then we don't have the power. We might have salvation, but we don't have the power. It is by it is by it is by understanding the instant access the instant power, the instant authority that that blood gives us. um, It is an eternal defeat for them. There is nothing they can ever do to turn the situation around. There's no recourse. There's no reversal for them. I mean, we we can't even fathom what that's like because we always have a reversal because of the blood of Jesus. No matter how deep we sink, no matter how far we fall, no matter how much someone we care about or love, or someone we meet, no matter how terrible their situation, there's not, not one person on the face of this earth. We can't look it in the eye and say, there is hope for you. you this all can be redeemed. No matter how bad it is, it can all be redeemed. It can all be turned around. You, this is not the end of your story, but this is the end of their story, and they know it. But they want to keep Christians from living in the power of this. They want this to become something that is a yawn something that we've talked about every Easter, we've heard about so many times, that we don't really live it. Um, there's a scripture, it says, uh, Hebrews 10, it says, but when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down, and that's, that's talking about Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstools, and that's what we do here on this earth. Through the blood of Jesus, we make his enemies, every demonic lie, every demonic force, the footstool of Jesus, and it's under our feet. It's our footstool. So whatever comes against you, whatever cruelty, whatever lie, whatever attack comes against you, you claim the blood of Jesus. You make it your footstool. It says, for one sacrifice has been made perfect forever for those who are being made holy, and we are being made holy by the blood. Um, our total victory in this life, our total victory in the next, is simply because of the blood. It's almost too simple. It's almost too easy. And, and I think sometimes when it's too easy, it becomes cheap to us. You know, that's why we make our kids earn something, right? We can't earn this. So maybe it's become too cheap. You know, we make kids earn things so they'll appreciate it and they'll value it. But, be, but we cannot earn this. And, and until we understand how to walk in the power of it, we won't live in the power. Um, it says here, Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed. They are cut off and they die for lack of knowledge. If you don't understand how to live in the power of the blood of Jesus, it, it, he says, if you lack that understanding that knowledge, your soul and your spirit, you, you can't live in victory. You can't live in power. And it's for more than just salvation. We understand that it saves us, but it's for us to live in power now. That's how we live powerfully now. We cannot live powerfully now without this. Um, you know, we, we um, it, it is imperative and vital that we, understand that this is this is the only hope for mankind this is the only hope for our situation this is the only bridge between the son of god and us you know we all know that this that this um, was cut off between um the separation this breach um this sin between adam and us we all understand that that we were there was no hope for there to be any relationship you know when we um, we've all had relationships that just crumble, right, and fall apart, and there's just no hope. There's no way to, there's no way to reconnect. There's no way to um, have fellowship. There's no way to have love. There's no way to have – we were in a hopeless situation. We are in a hopeless situation. Um, but in Revelations 5, it says, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. The scroll is the redemption story. There was no way to even look into it. There was no way to even see it. There's, there's no hope. And then he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And you think about it. We cannot be worthy. Uh, you know, the important part is, is that we really understand how can we walk around with guilt and shame when we were never going to be able to be worthy. One sin was enough. So there was no way for us to be able to ever be good enough, and no one was ever going to be worthy. And then it says, one of the elders says, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. When I saw the lamb looking as it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and this lion goes to become the lamb. And he becomes the lamb that was that innocent lamb that we were talking about. And he is slain, even though he is as strong as a lion and could be destroying everything, he is as humble as a lamb and he is slain. And that's the power. So the point is, why are we still trying to earn it? Why are we still walking... How can we? How can we offend God so much by walking around with guilt and shame? When this precious, precious gift was given, I'm just abandoning my notes at this point. I just, I can't even follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, when this precious, precious gift was given, it, the 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 audacity to second guess this kind of love. How can we? second-guess this kind of love. How can we second-guess the fact, I mean, he knew us before we were born. He, walk, he has walked with us, you know, our first breath. He, he has been there for every minute. He chose to love us before the beginning of the world. He sacrificed. He put his own blood on the line. And yet we second-guess the love. We second-guess, does he really love me? We second guess, does he really forgive me? We second guess, am I really righteous? Am I really clean? We second guess the power of the blood of Jesus. How can we second guess this? And how offensive is it to give, you know, all of this was done for love, for love, for love, for love. I mean, the, the massiveness of this love, how can we second guess this? How can we not live feeling righteous? redeemed powerful and love every minute of our lives we cheapen this thing we cheapen it we make it cheap when we when we don't live in power we have to understand you know first of all you know i, I remember one of the times when the lord spoke to me and it was new hearing from him and he said do you understand how much i love you and i said i don't think i do And I realized how offensive that is, how offensive when somebody gives that much, when somebody gives that that extremely, and then to say, I don't really know if you love me. How could you love me? I'm so bad. It makes your sin bigger than his gift. It makes your sin more powerful than the blood of Jesus. It makes what you did, and there's no, there's no, there's no, you know we we try to put ourselves up on that cross we try to crucify ourselves as if we're better than god we're bigger than god that his isn't big enough but my crucifixion is my crucifixion was big enough i'm bigger than god if i have to be crucified for my sin we live in under crucifixion we live in that spirit of guilt we live in that spirit of shame as if as if, you know, humanism is saying, I have to earn it. I have to do it. I have to. It's, it's all about me. We have to realize this is not about us. And when we make, when we walk around with guilt and shame, we've now cheapened the blood. We have now made it about us instead of him. We've now made our, ourselves more powerful than God. You know, you hear people say, it should have been me on the cross. Well, you know what? Thank, no, it shouldn't because we couldn't have even saved ourselves. We, can't, we couldn't have saved each other. You know, we do anything for our children or our families or the people we love. And I couldn't die. I couldn't die for the people I love. I couldn't help them. I couldn't, you know. And so the first step to being free is, and to being powerful is never living in guilt and shame again. Because it cheapens this gift to never, ever think that you add something to the blood. How can we add anything to the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus plus what makes it powerful enough? How offensive is it to say you need something more than the blood of Jesus? And how offensive is it to guess his love for us? You know, and and so as we're studying, we have to have faith in the blood of Jesus. We have to have faith in the power of blood of Jesus. You know, the first thing I had to lay the foundation for faith, because you have to understand, we all understand now that faith It means you can't second guess, you can't doubt, you can't waver back and forth between two opinions, you can't someday live free, and someday live under condemnation, and someday live in shame, and someday, that's not faith, that's doubt. And that is an offense to the sacrifice. So here's the thing, God would never doubt the blood of Jesus. God always honors the blood of Jesus, but we don't when we live in a minute's worth of guilt and shame after we've repented after we've turned from our ways. I mean, obviously we can't do that without repenting and turning from our ways. Um, but, and, and that's the next thing I want to talk about um, is, you know, the, the blood of Jesus. Um, oh. Here's the scripture. The blood of Jesus is not an excuse. And that's a ditch that the church is getting. It's not an excuse to live in sin. The purpose of the blood of Jesus is to take us out of sin not to give us a way to stay in sin. Um, 1 John 1, 5-9 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. He's like, let's be clear. I do not coexist with darkness. That's why there has to be death for sin. I do not coexist. There's zero amount of darkness. If I say it's a sin, it's a sin, and sin is real to me, and I don't coexist with it. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, We lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So the first thing that it does when we walk the way God tells us to walk is give us unity with each other. And we all know that right now society is the loneliest it has ever been. And certainly as far as we know in this country, we are the most sinful we have ever been. We have stamped that sin after sin after sin is fine, okay, and even you're proud of it. And, and this says, first of all, you want to have unity, you first have to live in righteousness. You have to walk in the light. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fall down and get up and plead the blood of Jesus and you're instantly, instantly clothed in robes of righteousness. The second you say, Father, I repent. Help me not to do that again. Righteous. As if you never sinned. Because somewhere in my notes, which who knows where, what's gone on with my notes, but what I explained was, what the blood of Jesus does is it, it, it removes sin. It absolutely takes the sin away. There is no sin. He will never see it again. He will never remember it again. He wants you to stop remembering it. He wants you to stop rehearsing it because he's over it. It's removed. It's remitted. The blood of animals could never do it. The blood of animals could never do that. But the blood of Jesus, gone. In a second, that's that. We, as as Christians, who have a sincere heart towards God, who who really want to live for him, we shouldn't have five seconds of guilt. The second we realize we've made a sin, our hearts want to follow him. So we say, God, I just told a lie. Please forgive me. Help me to be fully truthful. In Jesus' name, amen. Clean, righteous, he'll never remember it again. It is not something you carry on your back. It is not something you rehearse all day long. But the other side of it is, We have to be be serious about not living in that stuff. He did not die so that we could then manipulate him and abuse his gift to say, I'm just going to, you know, live however I want, and then I'm just going to plead the blood of Jesus, and then, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go ahead and go do this thing that I know. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, gossip about this person and say these things I shouldn't do or, you know, do this thing I shouldn't do knowing that I can just – to manipulate something that precious that valuable before God to manipulate that? Uh, are you kidding me? And, that, and, and here, listen, it's, being, it's kind of being taught that way. Um, there is an apathy towards sin in, in the church, in this church age, as if, you know, it's kind of shrugged off. That is, that is an abuse of the blood. That is disingenuous. And, of course, God knows. Of course, God knows. So, you know, and that might be something that's been done. And so then you repent of it and then you're clean again. You know, the point is we are never stuck. We are never stuck. We are never, we are never hopeless. The only hopeless ones are, are whatever demonic forces are out there. But we are never until our dying breath. Um, but, the, but we have to understand that the, that the blood of Jesus is a remedy for the sin problem. It's not allowance for it. And that's something that's happening. It is to remedy it. It is to, it is to help you resist it. It is to help you stand against it. It is to help you choose a different path. The blood of Jesus changes your want to. As you embrace it, as you say, Father, I have submitted my life to you, he changes your want to. And that's the power of the blood. That's, so it is for us to never live in guilt never live in shame, never live in condemnation, and not to continue to walk in sin because sin is death. He loves us too much to leave us where he found us. He comes to us, listen, he comes to us in the darkest, most filthy place. He doesn't care how filthy we are. He will come to us as we are. But he loves us far too much to leave us there. He will never, ever leave us there. The power of the blood of Jesus is to change our want to and to understand it's to change our remove the guilt and shame and then to change the desire for it and to turn us from it. And that is that, you know, we just have to understand that, 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 that the father and the son and the Holy Spirit hate sin so much that they chose to eradicate it. Through a violent death, of the shedding of their own blood. They're one, right? So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit shed their blood. They they hate sin so much. That is a violent hating of sin, to eradicate it through such an abusive, cruel, torturous death. That is that is a very serious hate of something, right? The Bible says over and over and over and over again in Scripture how much. God hates sin, so we can never um, minimize it. We can never shrug it off, and, and the beauty of it, the power of the blood of Jesus, it delivers us from it, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't make us stay there, and, and when we stay there, it means we are, we, we are, um, we're not applying it. We're not living in it, and that's the important part of understanding how to do this. Hebrews 12one 1-2-2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, because sin drags you down into the pit of hell. Sin will bring death into your, you know, sin is death. It will always bring death to something, a relationship, your health, your, your finances, your, if, you, if you are participating with it, it will bring death to something. And so it entangles us. It drags us down. And so it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For so the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And scorning its shame, that's so important. He scorned the shame so we could scorn the shame. We scorn shame. And, and to ever live in it for a minute. You know, we can, we can talk about the most awful things we've ever done and feel no shame. It's a testimony to the greatness of God. It's a testimony to the power of the blood. We scorn shame. We scorn it. We're like, you, ha- you are powerless here. You have lost all your power. Scorning the shame and he sat down at the right hand of God, which is where we are when we pray. When we go into the presence of God and say, I played the blood of Jesus, we are instantly sitting at that right hand, at the throne room of God. You think about the fact that we are right there in his presence. I love this. This is Zechariah 9, 11 through 12. As for you, sorry, I got an um, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you from your prisons, from waterless pits. Here's the first thing. Our pits, they're the spirit of fear. They're the spirit of shame. They're horrible nightmares. They're severe depression. They are constant financial problems. They are heartbreak. They are ruined relationships. They are, these are our pits. These are our prisons. And he says, I, you know, some of us have like a failure syndrome, a failure syndrome. You know, these are our pits and our prisons. And he says, because of the blood of Jesus, I have freed you from them. You are not trapped in this prison, in this waterless pit. You are not trapped in this pit. He says, and this is the next part that's really interesting about this verse. Um, He says, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. So the stronghold is the blood of Jesus. He just talked about the covenant, the blood of Jesus. He says, return to the stronghold, which is the power of the blood, you prisoners of hope. I know people who live their whole lives hoping. They are a prisoner. They never, ever get the freedom. They never, ever get the breakthrough. They never, ever realize the power of the blood of Jesus in their lives. How do you get out of being a prisoner of hope, you return to the stronghold, which she just got done saying is the blood covenant between us and God. We do not want to live in a, as a prisoner of hope, always hoping to be free, always hoping it's going to get better, always hoping, always hoping, always hoping, and never realizing. How do we realize? How do we realize the freedom? How do we... Plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over my fear, over my anxiety, over my depression, over this health problem, over this financial problem, over this relationship problem. I plead the blood of Jesus. That's what takes us out from being a prisoner of hope. And then it says, I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. That is what pleading the blood of Jesus does to your prison and your pit. Double for your trouble. We've all heard the saying, but how do we get from the prison of hope to double for your trouble? It is pleading the blood of Jesus to your situation. And we all have them. And you know what? As soon as one situation gets better, something new crops up because he says we're going to have trouble in this life. So if we don't know how to plead the blood of Jesus, we stay there. We stay a prisoner of hope. We're always hopeful, always trying to be optimistic, always, you know, and and we can even say things like, well, you know, uh, God God is sovereign. Well, this says you have to do something about your situation, not about your salvation, not about your guilt and shame, but you do have to choose the way you think about it. You do have to choose never to cheapen the blood by walking in it. But then about your situation, he says, return to the blood covenant. That's your stronghold against this thing. And you will be removed from being a prisoner of hope into you get two blessings for each of your troubles. I, I have a lot of troubles. I, I do. And I am I'm telling you, I am living for this. I am living two, two, two blessings for Dave's health. Two blessings for, there's a list of things. Two blessings. And I'm not a prisoner of hope. I'm not going to go, I am going to, I'm going to stand before you someday and tell you how God has given me two blessings. I can tell you that in my marriage. He gave me far more than two blessings. He gave me a, a, a million blessings for my trouble, you know, and, and, and that is, but at some point I get this. I claimed the blood of Jesus. I learned about the power of the blood of Jesus. Before that, it was something that was just kind of a, something I had heard and heard and heard. I didn't understand how to, to return to the strong enough. I didn't understand how to apply the blood of Jesus to my marriage. And then I learned about the power of it. And I learned it was more than just salvation. I learned it was the power to live. And I learned that when we, claim, when we put the blood of, when I pray, I pray the blood of Jesus over, over, over all of you. I pray for all of you every day. And I plead the blood of Jesus over each of you every day. I plead the blood of Jesus. That's how I start every prayer for everything, It's pleading the blood of Jesus over the situation. Because I understand that that gives you two blessings for every trouble. It doesn't happen overnight. It requires faith. We have to have faith in the power of the blood. We have to have faith that God will always honor his son's blood and his son's sacrifice, that it is so precious to him that he would never dishonor it. And and I remember realizing the power of the blood that how dare I ever live a minute's worth of guilt or shame for my mistakes. They were paid for. It's covered, and not just covered, but removed. The power of that. So we can say, I have been in this pit so long, and everything I've ever tried, it has not liberated me. I have been stuck here. I have been stuck in this thing for so long. And and then you say, But by faith I declare that that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than any sin I've sinned, than any sin anybody I know has sinned because I'm suffering because of their sin. Your faith in the blood is more powerful than the sin somebody else has sinned that you're suffering the consequence for. God will make their sin double blessing for the trouble you've been through the blood of Jesus cancels out all sin from anybody anywhere anytime and we can receive a double blessing for whatever trouble we have suffered through claiming the blood of Jesus over our situation there is no pit that you will ever stay stuck in if you claim the blood of Jesus over that situation it is impossible Because God cannot break his own word, It is impossible. So my faith for the victory uh, for a happy marriage was the blood of Jesus. He's delivered that to me. You know, getting out of debt, I plead the blood of Jesus. Uh, Good relationships with friends, with family, with people I care about, I plead the blood of Jesus. And then I have faith in it. I don't worry about it. I don't carry it. I plead the blood of Jesus. Being able to forgive somebody else. I plead the blood of Jesus. I have faith in it, uh, faith for peace of mind. My goodness, hardly anybody has peace of mind. You know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, um, Lisa and I, our kids go to the same school, and it's a Christian school, and there is a tremendous amount of depression and suicide in that school. Young kids, this is middle school. And, and I'm shocked at what I hear. And I say to Reagan, honey, they don't understand the power of the blood of Jesus. They go to a Christian school. They hear it, but they don't know how to live it. If you know how to live the blood of Jesus, you can't, you, 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 you are never victim to not having peace of mind, to living in a suicide mentality or a deep depression or a darkness or, or, you know, there's, or a spirit of condemnation or, or gloom. We can't live in gloom if we apply the blood of Jesus to our situation. We can't. And so uh, overcoming loneliness, my goodness, there's so much loneliness. I plead the blood of Jesus over my loneliness. It is the power. It is the power that will resist anything. And, And so today, in this very moment, we are to be free. We are anything, anything that we came in with, anything that we came in with, if you apply the blood of Jesus to it, if you apply the blood of Jesus, you have freedom to know that God will work it for good. But it's only because of the blood of Jesus. It's not because of how good you are. It's not because of all the good things you've done. We cannot earn that favor. We cannot. It is, it is, it is so humbling and so simple. The gospel, you know, it's why the angels came and said, I bring, when, when Jesus was announced, I bring tidings of great joy. This, the great joy is it's so simple. You just say, the blood of Jesus is so powerful, there is nothing that can stand against it. And God has promised in the, in the New Testament that all things will work together for good, to those who love Him and are called. And it's because of the blood. That promise was not there in the Old Testament. That promise could not be made then. But now it's made. It is just a complete provision for everything. So we are free from the pit and we receive double for the trouble. Um, Psalm forty one through three, which interestingly enough, you know, we have every time we have a house in Tremont, I just wrote this, this verse on the walls of Tremont. Dave sent it to me like a week ago. He's like, this is, this house is such a pit. It is, we, <laughs> we went to take the tile off the bathroom floor and the tub fell through the floor. We went to put a new window in the wall and the wall came out. The whole wall came out. It was rotten. We, the whole floor, the whole, the whole um, thing under the floor, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the the, the, thing, the foundation, the entire foundation had to be completely restructured. And there was rat poop all under. They had and it mud, and they had to lay in this to lay a new foundation. That's what Jesus says, right? He lays in a rat poop to lay a new foundation for our lives. But you know what, when this house is done, it's gonna be a half million dollar house. You, redeeming this pit, which is what God does in our lives. You know, no one's gonna believe what this house is gonna be like on the other side. And even contractors that are hired, they're like, this place is constantly the same. Do you know what a pit this is? This place is such a pit. Do you know what a disaster? I said, yes, that's what I wanted. Cause that's where you create value. When something is devalued and a mess, nobody else wants it. And then you go in and if you know how to fix it, that's where you make your money. That's how I make my money is by making something that no one else wants, something valuable and beautiful. And you know what? Some homeowner is going to come in and they're going to buy that house. They're going to be like, this place is gorgeous. They would never believe what this place is like. And that's what God does in our life. So Dave sent me this. he said, I got a verse for Tremont because this house has been um, – I, I have pictures of the bath, the tub falling through the floor. I mean, it's like – anyway, and it's so funny because when we walk in and see this stuff, I laugh. I giggle at everything. Nothing has concerned me for five seconds. And my contractors get so worked up about this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is a great picture, you know. like, And they're like, that tub fell felt. the so I'm like, so what? You put a new subfloor in. You put a little riser underneath it. We're good. And that's what God does about our disasters, right? It's what he, we think it's so awful. He's just like, it just needs a new subfloor. I, I died. I crawled around in that rat poop so we could fix that tub. And, you know, I'll have to show you. It's going to be a gorgeous walk-in shower when we're done. But anyway, I waited patiently for the Lord. Here it is, Psalm 41 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Tell you what, that's what people are going to do about that house He's giving it I mean, maybe I love rehabbing houses so much because I am such a rehab. My marriage, my family, my life, it's such a rehab. And you know, almost, almost now, almost now I'm like, I just can't, when things go really bad, I almost can't wait because I have learned that the worse something gets, the more beautiful and better and bigger it is on the other side. So whatever has been the more gnarly and dark and whatever, the more glorious. So however gnarly and messed up your life has been from your actions or somebody else's or something else, that is the bigger and more beautiful and more glorious than it has ever been because of God, because of the power of the blood. And we've got to honor that blood. We've got to honor that blood. And here's the the, the the last point I want to make. We can't compromise this message. And there's a lot of that. Multiple ways to God, however you want to get there. They got to heaven because they're a good person. We really established the fact that we can't be good enough. If eating a piece of fruit made you not good enough, ain't nobody going to ever be good enough. You know, we can't water down the message. It's the blood of Jesus, and that's it. There's no Buddha that can get you there. There's no Muhammad that can get you there. There's no, there's no other way to, you know, it is humanism. It is arrogant to say that there is another way. When God would send and shed his own blood, when he would have, have his beard plucked out, I mean, I can't even fathom that. There were seven stations where Jesus shed his blood, and they were so grotesque, I can't handle it. So I was going to talk about it, but I just can't handle it. But seven stations where he was whipped, where his beard was plugged out, where all these awful, horrific, torturous, cruel things happened to him. And each place he shed the blood of God and so, what are we going to do with this gift so big? We have got to do more with it than just choose not to live in guilt and shame, and we've got to do more than just apply it to our situation, which we need to. But first of all, um, I got a call in. But first of all, we've got to refuse to compromise the message. How can we water down something this powerful? How dare we? How dare we water down a sacrifice this great? How could we? Uh, You know, when we water it down, and I'm going to see if I can find where I wrote this. Um, When we water down the message, when we let the message be watered down, when we go along with that, it's because we're we're afraid of being rejected, something we've talked about. We're afraid of people not liking us. We're afraid of what they'll say. We're afraid of. We compromise in order to conform. And I can't imagine how that must make Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit feel in light of their sacrifice. Um, but we do it so that we will find acceptance, and we know this because I've said this, anytime you conform and any time you compromise to get acceptance, you set yourself up to be used and abused. And any time we are willing to conform. And any time we are willing to, to compromise truth, I mean, obviously we compromise in life, but the truth of God is what I'm talking about. You will be used and you will be abused. It is because you have given in to a demonic lie and that has given power to the enemy of your souls. You know, it says Satan comes to kill, steal, destroy. Jesus came to give abundant life. He, I mean, not just life, But it says abundant to the full and overflowing is the actual translation. Abundant, full, overflowing. When we compromise this message, we compromise the abundant, full, and overflowing life that Jesus died to give us. We cannot compromise. We cannot go along with the lie. We set ourselves up for exploitation. And it exploits the gospel and it cheapens the blood. And we participate in that. And it's so serious because there's, we're getting modeled. How many Christians are just kind of going along with it, the coexist? And we all should get along, right? I'm not, we all should get along. We all should, we, the whole foundation of this whole message is love. So we should be loving. But, but standing on truth is the most loving thing you can do. Standing on the fact that there is no other way to the Father, to heaven, to for the blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot compromise this message. You know, we all want a resurrection in life, right? We all want a resurrection story. Every single one of us. And we all have things that we need to have resurrected desperately. But there is not a single resurrection without a crucifixion. We cannot have resurrection in, lo- in our lives until we are willing to be crucified and I know I go back to my example with Dave all the time <clears throat> because that was the most powerful, I mean, I have had many, many, many crossroads of my life, but that was by far the most extreme, the deepest pit, the most torment, the, the farthest I got from God, the, you know, and then the greatest resurrection story, the most unbelievable resurrection story. We, we went on, um, okay, I'm just going to digress just a tiny bit, but we went on a vacation in Hawaii, In Reagan was five, so it's a long time ago. And I had made a choice within the last two years. I had been filled with the Holy Spirit. I had chosen the crucifixion. And to stay in this marriage, to love this man, and to be, to be faithful till the day I died, to just loving him, I felt like I was chained to something dead. And I was, because he was dead. It was death. But... It was a crucifixion. I had to die, and I was dying on this vacation. We went to Hawaii. It was beautiful, um, you know. but I was experiencing all this stuff. Dave made fun of my faith, and I just remember like looking at him one night and this, on this vacation. We were there for, I think, close to a month. We were there for quite a long time, and he, him making fun of my faith and making fun of this and making fun of that, and I just looked at him and just like, I, I mean, I could just see the devil in him. You know, I, you know, you could see the devil in him. And I remember just being like um, saying something loving and going out, to, going to Regan's bed and she was asleep and just crying and crying and just being like, why are you assigning me to this death sentence? It's the death of my soul. And it was death. And at the end of that vacation, um, it was during that vacation that Dave told me later, and I saw a change in him happen, he said to himself, what am I doing? I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter, and I completely neglect them. I don't value them. I don't, like, what am I doing? This vacation, so I didn't know this was happening in his mind and soul, though, you know? But at the end of that vacation, we saw this huge double rainbow from end to end to end. And, you know, there's a thing called a rhema word when you know that God is speaking directly to you. I knew, and Dave knew. This rainbow was so—it was colors like you haven't ever seen. And it was—we knew that God was saying, "I have a promise for this marriage." And Dave and I both knew it. We had—we had—we had a jeep for the month. Reagan was sitting in the little back of the jeep, completely oblivious to the fact that you know. And Dave and I said, "This is God saying He's going to redeem this marriage." And Dave's like, "Yeah, it is." And it took a couple more years. But when we were – oh, my goodness, I'm probably going to cry. When we, so, so the next vacation we went on, we got remarried, which was about a year or two later. And then we haven't been on a vacation for seven years because we have been through a lot. So for seven years we haven't been on a vacation. So we just went on this vacation and celebrated our 20th anniversary. And it was the best week we've ever, ever had together. And dates even still sick, So, you know, we didn't do a lot. We didn't – but we – just enjoyed each other so much. And we relaxed and we talked and we slowed down, which, and everything was perfect. Everything that could line up, lined up. And we just knew God was blessing us. And it was amazing. And the end of that vacation, um, we got lost. It's a long story. We got rerouted and it's a long story, but I had been, we were going from Venice back to Rome. We had to fly out of Rome and I had been reading because I was bored. So I was reading the best small towns between Rome and Venice. And um, the uh, first one I read, I'm like, oh, this town sounds amazing. Because we've been to Italy a couple of times. We're like, we'll definitely come back. We just love that place. So I'm like, when we come back, I want to go to this town. Well, then the GPS told us there was an accident. So we followed the GPS. And then when we drove over the road when there was supposed to be an accident, there was no accident. And just when Dave said, there's no accident. We should turn around. Just when he said that, I saw the sign. I said, Dave, that's the name of that town I just read about. I read about it like an hour earlier. So he was like, let's go. It's like we're being led there. So we went up, and it was magical. And I won't take time to – it was just a magical town. I mean, it was from – built in, like, the 1100s, big walls and a castle and all this stuff. And um, and so we walked around, and we had this dinner in this grotto that was, went way, way, way down into the earth. And then you we went down into the earth. It's like 20, 30-foot ceilings. And, then just, and my favorite is tiramisu. As a matter of fact, I brought um, one of my best friends to Christ over – tiramisu dessert and i was having tiramisu in her favor all over you know italy so it was my last tiramisu and it was the best one in italy and we're emerging up from this dark grotto out from the depths of the earth and we're emerging and by the way it's sunday and on sundays that whole town comes out and walks around they have their strollers in there so when we had gone down you know there were people everywhere um we emerged about this this tomb because it used to be tombs underneath there we emerged up from this tomb, and when we opened the doors, I said to Dave, it couldn't have had a more perfect ending. It's as perfect of an ending as it could ever be. And as we opened the doors, this sunset, it was colors like the rainbow, but it was the colors were not of this world. The, 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 the pinks and the blues, and Dave's and I, our breath was taken away. I said, Side. I said, Dave, it's a, it's a rainbow word, like the, like the uh, rainbows. He's like, I know. I said, it's God telling us. It's over. All that pain, all that struggle, 20 years, our 20-year anniversary. And he was saying, you let yourself be crucified. You let yourself be crucified. And this is your resurrection. And it was 10 years ago that I let myself be crucified. And it's been a top 10 years. I'd like to tell you I let myself be put on the cross and I was resurrected three days later. uh a lot of struggle and a lot of pain and a lot of not giving it up and a lot of fighting. And not just for my marriage, but for this ministry was established since then. I can't tell you how many people have come to Christ or been filled with the Spirit or been healed or been set free from demonic oppression. A lot has happened in those 10 years. And we knew in that moment, God was like, it's been a long 10 years, but it's going to start turning around because you let yourself be crucified. And then comes the resurrection. And I'll tell you, when the resurrection starts coming, You're really glad you went ahead and let yourself be crucified. You know, you don't regret the sacrifice. You don't regret trusting the blood of Jesus enough to redeem the thing you're having to lay down. You don't regret it. You know, it says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And weeping (laughs) might endure for my I don't know. I'd like to count how many nights are in ten years. Well, three hundred sixty-five times ten, so three thousand six hundred fifty nights. And um, I, I, I would not know how to count the tears I have cried in those ten years. The things that have gone wrong. The things, and I can't tell you. I have come back to this principle. The, the, the way that Satan has tried to remind me of my mistakes. Can I tell you? It is impossible for me to feel guilty or sh- ashamed of myself for the things. I hate what I did. I hate my sins. I hate them. But I have – it's impossible. I scorn the shame. I can't feel it. I don't feel it at all. I hate it. But, I, but it is – and so I'm just saying – I'm wanting to get to this last part here. Um, I am just saying you have to be crucified, in order to be resurrected. I don't know if that's my phone or, um, You know where it is. Um, So this is the thing. Um, I had made a choice when I discovered the truth about the blood, something more than a Sunday school felt bored thing, but something that was powerful to every situation in my life. I, When I discovered, I I said, this is too costly. This is too precious. And I'm not going to waste it. And I'm probably going to fall a hundred times. And let me tell you, in those 10 years, I fell a million times. And I know I'm going to fall a million times more. I just know I'm going to get up a million and one times. I have made a commitment, no matter what it is, I will apply the blood of Jesus to it. I will trust the power of the blood of Jesus. I won't waste it. I won't waste it. I, and I also will not be ashamed of it. I will be bold for it. I don't care who defriends me, dislikes me, disinvites me. I, I can't be silent. And the first one was my husband. I had to be okay with him being, uh, you know, scorning me making fun of me, whatever it was, you know, and and it so often boils down to people, what people think, you know, what I decided when I realized how precious, how, how great the love the father was for me, who loved me that much. He knew when I was formed in this woman's womb, the sins I was going to commit and the ways I was going to fail. And he loved me anyway. And he died for me anyway. And he covered that. I was like, you know what, whoever is disliking me, disinviting me, defriending me, they didn't die for me. They didn't love me before I was formed in her womb. They, didn't, they weren't there for my first breath. As a matter of fact, I'm on God's mind right now. I'm always on his mind. You're always on his mind. He never stops thinking about you, and he never stops loving you. And, and that person is probably not even thinking about me right now. And they certainly don't love me because if they're willing to befriend me, disinvite me, or want, not want to befriend with me because my opinion differs from theirs, then they don't even love me, but yet I will cheapen his gift for them, for my own husband, for my child, because our children can really be, for whatever it is, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. And I just made a decision. And I can I tell you, almost every relationship in my life has been tested. I have had to tell the truth when it hurts. I have had to tell, I've had to, or I have had to die to myself. or I've had to swallow the pride. Or I've had to, whatever it is. and, and one by one, God brings it back, not immediately. It's not quick. Anyway, um, Jesus wins. We all know that. And he won. He won over every evil thing, every bad decision, every mistake. He has won. It's all paid for. And, and we are overcomers. And that is the last thing I'm going to tell you is a little story. In the 1800s, Louis Pasteur um, uh, diphtheria was killing hundreds of thousands of people. And there was no way to stop it. And this man, who, who a very, very wealthy man, his son was killed by diphtheria. And he went to Louis Pasteur, who was like the top scientist of the time, and he said, I will give you as much money as you need. To stop this disease. So he gave him a ton of money. And Louis Pasteur went and bought 20 stallions. And he took those stallions and infested them with the disease. He put the disease in their nose, in their mouth, in their, and infested them. And by the next morning, 19 were dead. Only one was alive. And the one that was alive was very, very sick. And Louis Pasteur said, we have to do everything we can to keep this horse alive. Because this horse is an overcomer. And they named the horse the Overcomer. And that horse, in three days, was up on his feet and strong again. And on the third day, which, interestingly enough, three days in the tomb, interestingly enough, the third day, Louis Pasteur went and took the blood of this Overcomer horse and made it into a serum And there were 300 sick children on their deathbeds in the hospital and took that serum and gave that serum to those children. And those children were up out of their deathbeds within hours. And the whole scientific world came to Louis Pasteur. And they said, you know, how did you do it? What did you do? And I want to read his exact words. Um, They said, how did you defeat this deadly disease? There was no hope. How did you defeat it? And he said, all it took was a little blood from the overcomer. All it took. That's all it takes. For us. Here's the scripture I'm going to end with now. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. That's the devil and demons. They're very real. But, Satan was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. So there is a fight, right? We can't not fight. Don't ever think for a second you can't fight. The greatest way to fight, though, is the crucifixion, right, to die to yourself, to die and be resurrected with Christ. The great dragon was hurled down, and the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, the whole world. You think about that. The whole world is led astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him, Then I heard a loud voice say, now have come come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sister who accuses them before our God day and night. And that's the thing. Satan accuses us before God day and night. And if for one minute you accept the accusation, you are standing with Satan. Because he accuses us day and night, and if for one minute we accept that accusation, we are now in alignment with Satan. So accuses us day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from the death. So they triumph over Satan by, one, the blood of the lamb, second, the word of the testimony, which is what I, we just talked about, being bold, being bold, giving God the glory, giving a testimony to Jesus Christ, no matter what somebody thinks. And that requires the third part, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We can't love our lives so much that we're not being willing to be bold. Because the only way to overcome Satan is a three-part series. The blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and being bold for him so much that we don't care what anybody else thinks. We're not loving our lives before we love the blood of Jesus Christ the sacrifice of the cross, and that concludes our sermon. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you, God. Thank you for helping us get through this, God. This was a tough one, and I thank you, Father God. I thank you that the blood of Jesus, Father God, the blood of the Lamb, God, it overcomes. Lord, we overcame these oppositions today. Father God, I plead the blood of Jesus, Over each and every one of us in this room, God, over each of our situations, over our mind, over our spirit, over our body, over our families, our husbands, our children, Lord God, every situation, every sickness, every setback, every pit, Father God, I plead the blood of Jesus. And Father God, we are confident that nothing is strong enough to stand against the blood of Jesus. We claim our victory by the blood of the living lamb.